Okay, so I got the latest issue of Power Sports Business here. As we asked 400 Power Sports dealers one question and received 99 responses. Each month, we will be reaching out to our dealer panel to give us feedback on a certain topic. Generally, one question this month, we asked how sales were going at the start of the writing season compared to last year. With the pandemic mostly in the rearview mirror and the customers, as well as the industry, back to more in-person shopping and events, we wanted to know how it affected sales in the first quarter. The comments were received from the survey with a mixed reaction to first quarter sales with weather-related issues being a common theme. Dealers made the, co- the following statements, good volume, lower margins, says one dealer, less ski-do spring orders, notes another, business related to snow product and lack of snow has affected this category, but ORV is up reports another dealer. More dealers commented, unit sales are down a little, overall volume about the same. Uh, one guy says we're down about 20% due to the extreme, extremely bad weather we have been experiencing this winter, uh, but sales were better. Uh, but after the first week in March, sales slowed way down. I'm hoping it's the snow. January through February were strong. March had struggled and will likely close out Q1 even with 2022. But on downward trend going into Q2, uh, 2023, better weather would help. Other dealers said they were down a bit, only 3% in total sales in Q1. This dealer sums it up, stating they had a flat January, record February, and dead March. The majority responded with sales being either flat, up, or from last year. So that's kind of interesting. Just kind of looking at the one question, how has the sales been at the season and this last guy said flat January. So even with the year before a record February and then a dead March, most of them are attributing it to the weather. Uh, and a couple of these guys look like they're talking about snow and ski do, which doesn't really affect you or I out here in the Southwest. But, uh, how do you feel overall about the sales at your store and all the people that you're talking to? Uh, everyone that I'm talking to so far in the Southern California region anyway, I would say it's pretty in line with the flat to to a little down. You know, I, it sounds like the volume is there, but I am noticing more discount patternings happening and coming up uh, i definitely noticed it happening in customer behavior pretty early on i want to say i started seeing it in the customer behavior around end of q4 uh, you know through november and december you just started getting more of those common responses and questions and uh, objections Uh, you also got a little bit more of the i need to think about it you got a little bit less of the trigger pulling which, you know, was my first sign, me personally, of, okay, things are going back. It's happening. <laughs> this, this, this is normal. This is what we're built for. Um, so that's been an interesting transition. Now, I also look at it in the, you know, outside of COVID, even during COVID, in street sales and motorcycle sales, January has always been my most dreaded month of like, that's Jan. <laughs> uh, and this last January was really good. Like it, it was really, really strong for the dealership I was at at that time. And I'd spoke to a couple other Indian dealers. Um, one of them, a 
very good friend of mine, Lloyd Greer and Tim Sutherland uh, and Amanda Babel own St. Paul Indian, and they said their dealership had, was the record-breaking, top-selling dealership, I believe, in the nation in January. Which, mind you, it's in St. Paul, Minnesota. Weather? <laughs> I, I don't even think I can handle being in Minnesota in January because I'm just cold-blooded. I need the sun and the warmth. But I was highly impressed by that of like, wow, like a single line street bike motorcycle dealership had one of their best months in the coldest part of winter. So that was a cool thing to kind of notice. And I'm sure there's a lot of elements that went into that. And, you know, I, I would like to comment on that it's interesting to me how many dealers brought up weather because doesn't weather happen every year it does what do you feel about that four seasons um well you know for the southwest here we've had quite a quite a bit of rain during this winter sure and so, um just kind of watching it through the rest of the country it's been a weird weather year at least once um but yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Januarys we're always like, okay, we've got the holiday hangover, out of money. Uh, it's still kind of cold out. Snow is still on the ground. No one's going to be riding that much. But yeah, I'm seeing the same stuff that you are. Is that a lot of these stores had a record breaking in January or leading into February? Numbers were crazy. But I can't uh, I can't really comment on why certain dealerships, especially a St. Paul, Minnesota dealership carrying just Indian would have their best month ever. Um, I can speculate and say maybe it was because a lot of their orders came through potentially. Um, maybe their gross margins were higher because they weren't doing any discounting. Um, maybe they just had a great, great strategy in their marketing and pulled in a lot of customers that maybe were on the fence and they got them that way so i don't know why that one particular guy said he had a record-breaking month elaborate on what he did differently or what happened that month other years uh it sounded like it was a combination of things you know they purchased it a year ago so this was their year in um and i do want to say i don't believe it was like their their top month i think they also had better performing months in the summer but they were the top indian dealership for january okay. out of minnesota uh and i think you're on to something with the marketing they do an exceptional job at brand awareness and online presence and they don't just keep to their four walls they go to rallies they go all over the country so they create this very nationwide presence that isn't limited to their little region their little scope of saint paul they're they're bringing people in from everywhere so i i think that is a testament to that and uh it's not the first time i've heard of that from dealers that have figured out how to really extend their reach 
because I think it's one of those things that's easier said than done. Like everybody always is like, oh yeah, of course I want customers from everywhere, but it's really hard to execute. And it's, I've only had the pleasure of really seeing a couple of dealers really do it well. Um, and I, I do think that comes from really good online reputation and being good at responding to the leads, you know, in, in every facet that they get to you whether it's like on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or the generic through the website and through the OEM. Yeah, I, I think that that has a big play in why they had such a strong month in, to me, a weather-impacted month. <laughs> Makes you think a little bit. And staying on the same topic of Indian here, uh, let's go into the Pipe Piper. So this was ship in St. Paul, Minnesota, had an awesome month, best in the country, and equally a big piece of the headline news in PSB was uh, during the uh, the study that they published here, Indian motorcycle dealers were ranked highest in response to website customers. So just what you were talking about, and just to read the first paragraph here, Laris Inc.'s motorcycle, Indian motorcycle dealerships ranked highest in the 2023 Pied Piper PSI Internet Lead Effectiveness, the ILE. Uh, this is a motorcycle UTV industry study which measures responsiveness to internet leads coming through dealership websites. Uh, following Indian were Harley Davidson, uh, Polaris Side by Side UT, UTV Division, and Canham Dealers, Kawasaki, Yamaha. So let's let's talk about what Pied Piper is. Um, you certainly have gotten your dealerships reports. Why don't you give us a little insight on your perspective, what Pied Piper is, how it helps, and just kind of how their placement is in our industry. Yeah. Uh, so Pied Piper, for anybody that isn't in the web sales or internet department, is it's basically a secret shopper. So they go through, and I believe they said for the 2023 measurements, they reached out to 6,247 dealers. So that's not manufacturer-specific, that's dealerships. And then they would target specific manufacturer units when they submit the inquiry. So they secret shop your website. They go on, they find a unit, they find some sort of form on your website that would trigger a engagement from a salesperson sales specifically not part service anything like that it's only sales against a major unit so for an indian dealership for example they'll go to their website target let's say a indian scout and they'll shoot over a name a local phone number and an email address and then for the next i want to say it's three days they'll measure the response of how quickly they get a phone call, how quickly they get a text message, how quickly they get an email, and or if they get any of the three. And then they'll take kind of that average and score the dealership based on their response time, the diversity of the response. Uh, and that's pretty much the two main measurements is the the quickness and the diversity of it. Like, are they just sending a phone call and then they never text, they never email, they never do anything again? Are they acknowledging it at all? Which is where that article really like 
popped at me of when I opened it and saw the national average. So there's like a little clip in that article that says the power sports industry has substantially improved dealer treatment of website customers. As an example, five years ago, a power sports website customer's inquiry would be answered only 31% of the time, according to Pied Piper. On average, compared to 52% of the time in 2023. That's a big jump. That's a big jump. So let me just get this get this straight. For all of the mystery shops that went out there, only 32%, sorry, 31% of the time, they even got responded to. At all. At all. And now it's jumped up to 52%. So a little more than half of all the leads that they sent out got a response from that participating dealer. What do you think it is that only half the time this sample size of these dealerships that they're sending these leads to, what do you think it is about half of them not being able to respond? That's a really good question. And uh, Eric Muse had shared this article with some of his thoughts, and they were definitely a little bit more on the negative side. Uh, and I understand where he's coming from because I've seen a lot of these pain points happen in a dealership. And one of them, the one that jumps out at me immediately is sometimes there's just glitches and those leads like nobody finds them which is crazy because most of us that have been in a web department you'll see the same lead like hit you three different times like you'll get three emails on it it's in your crm it's in your oem and it may be even in your dms systems where it's like it's not possible for me to miss a lead but then you'd get this failing score of a lead and you'd be like oh what what happened here? How did, how did you not respond to this? And it always causes a little bit of like an emotional spike for managers, whether it's a sales manager or a GM or an owner of like, what do you mean we got an F? It immediately like puts people in a defensive, like what would happen? And then they just go straight to the team that's responsible for those leads. And from my experience, a lot of the time you'll get to the sales department and they'll be like, what are you? Like, I cures my screen, I searched the phone number, the email, the name, like, I can't find it. It didn't go through correctly. And I, I don't know how much of that goes into logistics or, like, does Pied Piper kind of sometimes the data they send get scooped up into a spam type situation is tricky. Um, I... I personally kind of saw that happen a couple different times, which is why I wonder how accurate some of those percentages really are. The other side of it is you can kind of tell when it's a Pied Piper. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think anybody would come out and admit it. However, when you have a salesperson that's maybe juggling way too many things for the day and they see these leads pop up and they see the ones that they know are real people that they need to get to and they need to work with, and then they see one that's probably a Pied Piper, are they backburnering it and not getting to it as quickly because they have a funny mindset of, oh, that's a waste of my time? 
you know, you have to really establish that it's a scorecard in like that culture in your dealership. So when you see a Pied Piper, you actually get excited of, oh, here's my chance to like get it in and show what I can do and like do it as fast as I can. Uh, whereas I think that defensive emotion I talked about earlier, that ends up overshadowing it. And then nobody in the dealership even wants to deal with them. They just get mad. They get frustrated. So I do wonder how much is logistics or defensiveness of it really just falling through the cracks. I could definitely empathize and say, you know, we have the same uh, thought process behind it. You get a, get immediately fired up about it, right? Okay, let me look in my CRM. Let me see what date and time they came in. Let me see how I can get out of this, right? The problem is, is that Pied Piper is now becoming influential in the industry. Uh, they, I remember them starting out with BRP as a kind of a factory back program where they would, you know, give them some type of uh, hit list perhaps, or maybe say, you know, we want our factory leads going to these dealers to be handled properly. What kind of mechanism can we include into this sales process to make sure that's getting done? And unfortunately, you're right. They do have some uh, some strange connectivity to where uh, maybe not all the leads are coming through, but still there should be backstops for that, right? I, I would rather talk about not so much missing them because of the tech maybe not being connected correctly or you certain person not getting a uh, notification or even if they do, they don't answer, right? All, all those are terrible reasons. But let's talk about the influence side on how Pied Pipers may be manipulating the way that we do our business practices. And what I mean specifically by that is how you format a certain email, uh, how your signature is going to be put on that email, uh, the times during the day that you're going to be doing all your callbacks, right? So they're scoring you on each individual thing here. I was just kind of reading on their newest format and it says 20 different measurements generate the dealership ILE. Uh, and on a scale of 100 in a traditional bell curve of performance, 27% of all dealerships nationwide scored above 70, 70, providing a quick and thorough response, while 35% scored below 30. Well, those 20 different measurements, they may include, and they may include your email within the signature of the email you're sending. Now that's just kind of one of those dumb moments where you go, well, I'm sending an email. Why would you need my email in my signature of the email? Um, but some of them are very valid. Uh, one thing that we do not do well enough is we, per we do not personalize a lot of these emails. And some of these high volume dealerships, especially ones that I've been involved in, they're, they're templatized. And so what happens is these templated emails, which are designed to, to speed up the efficiency of all these leads coming in and answering them all as much as you can with one person or a team of people on your dealership internet department, um, they just kind of click buttons so that they stop the clock, if you will, or they make sure that they get a response out of there. But the question that they submit, the, the, meaning the customer submitting the question, do you have this in stock? Does this come in red? What kind of fa factory financing options are available? They don't answer them at all. Now that right there, I can say, yes, they should not be scored good if they did not answer or even address the question, uh, if it's addressable, right? Is this in stock? Do you have this in pre-owned? Yeah, we can answer those. 
uh, if the customer is asking what's the total price on it, yeah, I mean, we may have different tactics on how each different uh, each, each different dealership handles that. But I think it's just interesting how they've become a bigger presence in the space in the past couple years to kind of deliver these results as an authority, right? They're not selling vehicles. Um, none of these none of these hired mystery shoppers are buying any of them. So what does the rest of the process look like for these dealerships that hit the high marks? Yeah, they may have a good response game, but are they setting appointments for these customers? Are they coming into the dealership? Are they doing the nine-step uh, sales process and sitting them down, writing them up and closing them and delivering vehicles? Well, obviously on these Pied Pipers, they're not. So how does that connect both both of these types of processes between online and in-store from clicks to bricks, right? What's your what's your thoughts on that? You know, I'm really glad you brought that up because I know when it came to structuring our web response process, we literally printed out a Pied Piper and like laminated it and was like, here's the things to do with every web lead. Whether they were effective or not is debatable. Like, and it's funny that you mentioned that because like, why, why did they pick the 20 points and how many of them are valid and how many of them actually do encourage a sale? Now, I'm not saying that they don't. I just do wonder how did they come up with the measurement and I would like to see almost a chart in comparison with the lead response to how many units were sold from those dealerships from web leads like is it correlating and that's my point exactly is you know if, if, if they're if we're going to be fearful of the bad pipe piper score and that now changes our our thought process on how we should react to all of our leads because one Pied Piper out of 150 leads that come through the month might be one of those mystery shops. Now we are formatting all of our lead responses to be satisfying that one Pied Piper mystery shop, right? Absolutely. That's definitely happening, I imagine, in a lot of places. Now here, here's here's a thought. I haven't seen it yet and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I came from automotive and in automotive, we had this same type. It wasn't Pied Piper, but it was an independent third-party company that would, they would mystery shop us on the same things, internet leads. They would even send people to the store. They would even call the store and they would start to score it, uh, but only on factory leads, right? Now, what happened over time in the automotive business is that they started to tie um, backend, uh, inventory allocation, uh, co-op programs to how well you ranked as an industry average to, you know, to that scoring, right? If you, if the industry average was the 75 percentile of you had a quick response time, you hit all the marks on these 20 pieces of info that we need on every response. Um, if you were under that, they would not give you inventory. They would deny some back end. They would not fully fund a co-op program. How do you think that that is going in the power sports industry with some of these third-party companies uh, kind of, you know, formulating this plan to get closer with the OEM so that they become more of a influencer in the space? 
it's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a knee jerk. There's always like a knee jerk reaction. Like, ah, you can't tell me what I can't get, get, and I'll do things my way. And you can't tell me to change. And that kind of hard, fast, old school mentality. But at the same time, when I look at that chart of the average response times and I see BMW has literally gotten worse at their response, is via Pied Piper. I, again, it's only going off of that statistic. If you were BMW as a manufacturer, what behavior changes could you encourage amongst your dealers where there's some actual consequence involved to like, hey, take these web leads seriously because it is important and it is the change of the industry and where things are going. Uh and there's the flip side of it, of reward the dealers that are doing really well. Now, that is where it gets scary, though, is dictating who has the power. Because, yeah, now secret shoppers are controlling a business's influx of inventory, which is literally their bottom line. Like, that's how they're making their money. Now you're interfering with their projections, their cash flow that's going to cause some massive emotional reactions. Um, I have seen OEMs kind of start to make some moves like that, though. Not in that space, not when it comes to web, but when it comes to CSI, uh, when it comes to certain merchandising, when it comes to certain order volumes, uh, when it comes to where you're enrolled and how you're enrolled and are you participating in peer reviews and if you're not adhering to the things that they're recommending their only way to kind of make it serious for a dealer is to start leaning into those hey your profile is going to reflect all of these metrics and on a defense side of that that gives an OEM a hey if you want more inventory, you want more of this, get these numbers up. Yeah, I'm seeing it uh I'm seeing it also correlate with how much emphasis these OEMs are putting into their advertising and lead generation on behalf of their dealers, right? So just in my experience, uh Polaris is one of the best, right? They spend a lot of money, they do a lot of advertising, they generate a lot of leads for their dealer network. ERP, very, very much up there in that same ranking. Uh, you can argue that Yamaha has tried that a couple different strategies. Kawasaki is kind of up there. But then you have brands like, uh, let's say, Suzuki, right? Poor Suzuki. Um, they haven't really done anything in terms of any online advertising. Harley Davidson, uh, they have some pretty good, rock solid uh, digital programs that suggest and might I argue make you buy some of their digital assets like websites or certain lead providers, but they don't really provide any factory leads outside of their their inventory, you know, marketplace platform that they just built a couple years ago. So do you think that these these scoring metrics have to do with how much emphasis the certain OEM has on generating leads for their dealer network? 
Absolutely. I mean, that's actually a really good point that you bring up because when you look at the top performing OEMs, you're looking at OEMs putting massive money behind that. Like they're really driving those leads to the dealerships. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it. Hey, the great point about BMW, they, they went 9% down over the last, last year. That one was the most surprising metric out of the whole chart for me. Yeah. And then they've got others in the bottom of the ranking here. Zero, Kabuto, CF Moto, Cub Cadet, Hisun, John Deere, Kimco, and Tracker. Tracker's Bass, Bass Pro Shops only, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, the largest one was Kabuto. 46% change from year over year. So it just kind of, it's, it's an interesting topic to talk about. The manipulation, the influence, the factory uh, or OEM backing them. Uh, and then just kind of what what is it that makes this company an authority in this space? Um, you mentioned Eric Muse earlier. He made a com comment on his LinkedIn. Pied Piper, in my opinion, is out of touch with reality. This is Eric saying this. Uh, their observations are, in my opinion, self-serving and debatable from so many perspectives. He says, my belief in their product slash service is a two on a scale of one to 10. So it's not the bottom, but it's close to it. He says, as an owner and GM of multiple locations, the feedback has become worthless. Wish this wasn't the case, but I personally have lost faith in what they measure. So Eric is on the detractor side. And I think uh, most of our co conversation up to this point has been exactly that is, you know, is it helpful? A lot of us feel that it's not. They maybe have a little bit too much power, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in terms of what benefits do they provide? Uh, I can speak from experience that I, I killed it in internet sales, um, not because I knew, uh, you know, I was an expert in, in having this kind of process that nobody else knew about. It was partially because maybe that's a little bit of it, but it was partially because my competitors were not that great and I took advantage of that. So if it was me against another non, you know, right now dealership, nine times out of 10, I would win because I had the quick response. I had the questions answered in the email. I had a worthwhile uh, communication with this customer. I attempted to call them. I attempted to text them any communication possible. I got a new lead. I was on it. I can't say the same thing about my competitors. So is this one of those cases where a company like Pied Piper is turning on the water, filling up the tub, so that all things float, right? So that all ships rise. How do you feel about that in terms of bringing up the whole industry while maybe pissing off a couple of the high performers? As I do agree with some of Eric's heartburn, because that's how I would describe that like reaction to it, because I he's not the only one I've heard say that. It's, it's a pretty common thing for owners and operators to hate Hyde Piper. They hate it. They don't want anything to do with it. Uh, they'll ping to the ceiling over it and not want anything to do with it. However, the alternative is no secret shopping. And that to me isn't a solution. You need to be able to secret shop. Like I think secret shopping is something that is frustrating for businesses. I, I think even in other segments outside of power sports being secret shopped is a little nerve-wracking like and it can bring up some emotions maybe you had an off day and 
maybe you just didn't send that text message and you didn't send that email and you did half-ass call and then you got a bad score and now you're mad about it. But how else are you gonna know? You're not. You can't just trust what's being put into your CRM. That would be great, but we need to inspect what we expect. And Pied Piper's from what I can tell, one of the only companies providing some sort of insight in how your employees are really handling a lead because they'll do one perfectly in front of you all day long. And maybe most of them they do. But to your point, you had a process in place. You weren't ever scared of a Pied Piper. I was never scared of a Pied Piper. And if for some reason it just complete, it was either an all or nothing, right? Like, and then at that point, okay, this is logistical. This is a software thing. Like, but even then, good. Now I can be like, am I losing other leads? Or is there a drop in the system? How else are you going to know that? So it is frustrating. They're not industry guys, I'm sure. So you know, there's always that rub of somebody trying to give input into a business when they're not in the weeds causes some friction. But really, you need some measurable data. You, you need to know what's happening. And I know I was never able to secret shop myself, like, and set it all up, make a fake email and a fake phone number. So it is a really nice service that's available now do i think oems should start doing it a little bit themselves privately maybe you have a good point if you don't have the resources to shop yourself or maybe maybe even ask for some help right uh yeah Pied piper is definitely a benefit to see how they measure things and where some areas of could come from right so i'm with you there i think that uh i think that based on this conversation we're neutral you know uh, pipe piper could be good but for some of the high performers maybe we do things a little differently because that's what makes us a high performer so we'll see where it goes they've been in uh they've been around for a couple years already i don't think they're going anywhere especially with these oems supporting them especially on the uh the per brand ranking there Indian slash Polaris, they definitely have a large uh, stake in them, it seems, with their co-op programs and just how they're scoring some of their dealers. We'll see where it goes. I definitely don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. And maybe perhaps they just need to get in the space a little bit more and provide dealers more information as to why they have the structures they have, maybe provide some additional training that hey when you get a bad score let's talk about it let's go through and do a training or really isolate it and make it not so emotional and make it not so confrontational because I, I i think that'll help relieve some heartburn for a lot of dealers too okay let's segue into something else that's not going anywhere uh tucker so recently um tucker had decided to go direct to consumer dtc as it's also known 
uh, definitely stirred the pot with a lot of dealers. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who Tucker is, uh, their involvement in the industry, and certainly their relationship with the dealers and why something like this would kind of ruffle some feathers. Sure. I would say that Tucker, also formerly known as Tucker Rocky, has been a leader in the parts distributing area. They're probably a top parts distributor for most dealerships. They distribute for V-Twin with Biker's Choice. They distribute via metric. Uh, their catalog is very diverse. They're a tire provider. in uh, their competition primarily is going to be drag specialties uh, or parts unlimited, same same group. And then you have WPS and then you have Helmet House. Um, and there's been some other ones come and go, and I'm sure there's some that I'm not thinking of, but those are the ones that I always think of are like the cream of the crop. When you set up your parts department, build those accounts and find out who your reps are. They're the ones that are going to help you propel your parts department beyond what the OEM can provide you. From what I've experienced myself in parts departments, OEMs are really good at giving you popular parts and you'll have a huge catalog and then a percentage of them that we would consider like a power item that you're going to sell really easily. But you're kind of limited on your margins, whereas these parts distributors like Tucker can offer you aftermarket options that have greater margins. You can get in on tire programs so you can buy them really cheap. And you're usually going to have some sort of rep that helps you make returns and swap outs and really manage that inventory to optimize your overall average margin. That's how I always looked at those parts providers. Now, going direct to consumer, you're now... And there's a couple of different camps of looking at this. The one that is going to be the more aggravated is the camp that looks at it now you're competing with me so if i'm buying x inventory from you and then you go and advertise x inventory on your website now my customer can go to your website and buy the same product from you rather than buying it from me so that i never get to make that awesome margin it's just sitting here now the camp that i'm in and the one that I think needs to be remembered is the internet is a source for customers. And customers, no matter what, are going to do whatever is easiest for them to get what they need. And this may feel like a slight at first. However, it's going to provide us so much more data on intelligent inventory, on what sells. And if you don't think the executives at Tucker didn't think through that they're going to integrate this with dealer inventory, that's crazy. Like, I'm sure that their intention is to eventually get this up and running. And then when you're on that website and you find that sweet jacket from Roland Sands that's like, you have to have it, it's going to pop up with like, a, hey, here's eight dealers that have that in stock. Call them. Go see if they have it. Because that's how the OEMs are treating it. I know you can go buy a Harley accessory online without having to go to a dealership. 
same with Indian, same with Yamaha, same pretty much any of them to my knowledge. You can buy directly from the OEM and it is frustrating. <laughs> Don't get me wrong because the OEMs kind of have that same effect too. Uh, as a parts associate, nothing really gets you a little irritated than when you have a good customer and you gave them this great pitch and you quoted them and you showed them install times. You're like, cool, I'll call you. And then three days later, they come in the shop with the item. They're like, oh, I got it online. And they're all happy and excited. And you're like, <laughs> uh, so that's the rub of it. Certainly a lot of pain points here. And yeah. uh, you bring up a good point with Harley. Um, I follow a couple Facebook groups for Harley dealers, and they talk about it all the time. Um, Harley is one of these companies that was very centered around the dealer network. Uh, and they still are for, for the most part, right? You cannot sell other brands in a Harley store. Um, mainly, you know, their motorcycles, very limited aftermarket parts or PG and a ports gear and accessory in their motor clothes or parts departments. It's all Harley, right? So for them to make the 180 with this new leadership that they've got at the, uh, at the corporate level to offer direct to customer the same Harley exclusive parts and accessories that you could at one time only buy at your local Harley dealership. Uh, they are now selling and competing online against that dealership. And for the example that you just gave, anybody can go to the store and buy it today. Or if you wait another 24, 48 hours, you have it delivered to your house at the same price, maybe even sometimes less. So certainly rub their tuckers taking a page out of that group. Um, and that strategy, but the, the comment that we're referencing is Mark Sheffield. Uh, he had a LinkedIn post that said, I had a couple dealers who reached out to me today, wanting to know my thoughts on this. And he says, he's a little torn. He says, he's very appreciative of the support that Tucker's is offering the MPDA. Uh, but he also finds it tough to do business with a vendor that he's competing against to your point, uh, other than the opportunity for customers to touch and feel the products, they really have the upper hand when selling over the internet to consumers. Now, in a day and age of Amazon, where everything's delivered to you uh, at the doorstep or really anywhere in the world at this point, it makes it hard, right? Uh, dealerships have overhead, they have employees, they have lights, they have rent, all water, electricity, they have the stocking, they have to house all these different parts that anybody might want. Um, and someone can now have the option to buy it online. That's great for the consumer, but, uh, it, it's, it kind of sucks for the dealership, right? So let's talk about some of the business moves that Tucker has made lately. Uh, now in December of 2022, they hired a new vice president of marketing. And then soon after Tucker had hired a new VP of sales. So both these people have different backgrounds, and I'm sure these are some of the, some of these decisions came out of these camps. Uh, whereas Leslie, the new VP of marketing, she had a long career with the Dallas Cowboys, and now she is VP of marketing for Tucker. I'm sure the first thing that she did is said, hey, let's make a website and sell direct to these customers. Why do we have to make it dealer only? Uh, let's, let's go direct to customer. We'll probably pick up a few incremental sales at, at at first, and then, you know, who knows what their trajectory is after that. Uh, now the second guy, I don't want to butcher his name, but last name is Sharma. 
as a VP of sales there. He had a, you know, eleven year run with Abbott. And for those of you that don't know, Abbott uh, is a hospitals and healthcare business, right? So we've got two very high level people at Tucker, arguably one of the biggest distributors in the world, uh, now making some business decisions. And what we've seen lately is the direct to customer. So how do you think that? some of these people from maybe outside of the industry or from other industries are impacting these legacy businesses in our, in power sports and some of the decisions that they're making this late in the game in 2023. I mean, it's no wonder that they're not from the industry because it's giving them the courage to make these kind of calls because it absolutely is a decision that I'm sure wasn't taken lightly and that is going to cause a major impact on their dealer network. Now, a couple of things come to mind to me here and one of them is capital investment. Tucker and WPA and Drag, I believe all of them, sunk a lot of money into the e-bike industry and e-bikes are not cheap. They are very high-ticket items. I associate e-bikes as they should be major units uh, because the, some of their price points are not much cheaper or sometimes more expensive than an average major unit, especially in a metric space. Uh, so you have now this giant inventory of electric bikes and a lot of capital, I imagine, went into some of this inventory. So they're probably had to be some major decisions made around that. How do we recoup this? And a lot of dealers maybe took what they could take, but at the end of the day, dealers have budgets. Dealers have their own capital to worry about. So what do you do to start moving inventory? And that brings me to my other thought is the dreaded OBS. Everybody hates OBS. So a direct-to-consumer website, what if, as this progresses, we start to get better data or inventory, we start to do smarter stocking, and we actually do know what's going to perform, and our parts provider now can give us better RMA coverage. They can better take product from these dealers of like, hey, I know we sold you this, this, and that. It didn't perform well. Cool. It's doing great online. We'll take it. And hey, this is what's doing well. Stock this. And then linking that all together. Now, it sucks because it's in its infancy right now. It's just started. We're not going to see any of that benefit right away. Uh, but I think those new faces and those outside perspectives helped shift for Tucker the, hey, here's what could happen. Here's if we just changed the way we're doing things. Yeah, it might ruffle a couple of feathers at first. However, it's going to relieve a lot of pressure in some areas. And when I look at pressure like capital investment, that's major pressure. That's make or break pressure. So let's alleviate some of that. And I kind of look at it as you want your friends to be successful, right? They are a business partner at the end of the day. So you want them to do well. 
And if you can, if they can figure out how to integrate their dealer network inventory with their e-commerce, just like the OEM does, and direct customers to the doorstep, direct customers into those dealerships to have an option of this or that, whether I order it or go try it on, and that they also provide better coverage for RMAs, being able to make returns, being able to keep the inventory moving inside that dealership, I think that's a huge win because nothing sucks more than OBS. It's true. It's the worst. It's the worst. It's so uh, school me on that. You were starting to talk about the OBS in terms of they can now list some of these uh, products that they've already shipped to the dealer, but in their direct to consumer model, they are listing those those that that inventory as well on their overall offerings to the consumer. They can buy that from that dealership. I don't think they've got it going yet. But I would imagine that's in the work. Now, for like Indian, I know they absolutely have that in place. Where if you go to Indian Motorcycles OEM website, I'm sure Off-Road has the same thing. I do a little research, so don't quote me on it. But you can go to their website, pull up a part. Let's say I want a highway bar for a Chieftain in Chrome 2023. And it'll show you the price. It'll say proceed to purchase, add to cart. Or here's three dealerships that have it in stock. And then you can even do a, hey, do you want to pick this up at the dealership? Or do you want me to send it straight to your house? Because I'll save you shipping if I ship it to the dealership. And then you can be like, oh, so then the dealership isn't selling out of their in-stock inventory. They actually ship you the product with the customer's name on it to the dealership and say, hey, they're coming to pick this up from you. And the dealership gets a cut of that sale, even though they didn't have the website, they didn't have to stock the inventory, and they didn't even really have to follow up with the customer. That's by choice. That's just a, hey, we sent this person to your door. Maybe you can get another sale out of it. It's kind of like, have you ever done an Amazon return at like a Kohl's? And then you go to Kohl's and then they give you a coupon so you'll go walk around Kohl's. All right. <laughs> uh, those the power sports dealerships that are taking are using this model where it's a customer that bought like you said a part online and they shipped it to their local dealer if they're not offering coupons to these customers coming to pick them up you are definitely losing because that customer is an, a prime opportunity for an upsell there oh yeah because they already went through the trouble going to the dealership if anything they're excited because they're like yes i'm gonna go pick up my part i already ordered it and then I'm going to go see whatever cool stuff is out at the shop. There we go. Well, yet to be seen on Tucker Rocky to see if they will ship to dealer or even give the dealers a cut or maybe even offer a free pickup at the dealership. So yet to be seen. Um, let's, let's segue into our last topic of the day. And let's talk about the economy now, right? Very sensitive uh, for our industry. Um, yesterday, Federal Chair Jerome Powell, he announced that they're raising rates. Uh, so what does that mean? That means that they are trying to stifle inflation by raising the interest rates, interest rates by 0.25 or 25 basis points. So now we're at a high of 
uh, for the federal funds rate. Now, what does that mean for our industry? Well, unfortunately, we're in the leisure business. Like it or not, uh, our products do not serve any purpose, most of them, but they do not serve any purpose other than having a good time in. Uh, so when it comes to hammering down on this inflation that the federal government is very worried about, and they should be, because things have gotten more expensive that's tightening up people's budgets and families' budgets. Uh, this is really their only weapon to combat that. Um, how do you feel that these high interest rates that we are trying to get loans for, um, for these products that we sell, how do you think that that's overall going to affect sales in our industry, especially after coming off of what we just read as January, February, March being record-setting months for some of these dealerships in terms of volume, in terms of gross profit margins. Talk to me a little bit about the financing world and how some of these things can affect it. Well, rates are definitely, rate hikes are nothing any finance manager wants to hear about because now you just literally made your job harder. <laughs> in a blanketed statement, you... Uh, just increased everything in overall dollar, right? Every monthly payment's gone up. And a lot of consumers, depending on what segment you're in, are very rate conscious. Now, this isn't always the case. Uh, I I think a lot of dealers are probably going to default into what are your closing strategies? How are you penciling? How are you structuring these deals? And your mindset to it is going to have a lot to do with it. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but rates have been really low for a really long time, abnormally so. And everything did inflate and did increase in price through COVID. So something does need to kind of help bring it down. And I think all of us paying attention to retail and wholesale and MBA you're seeing a trend happening like it's starting to okay houses are going a little bit lower mpa is auctioning bikes at a little bit more like book value you're not getting those auction bikes leaving at retail anymore so you kind of have to take the silver lining of the apr increases of it's helping normalize some other things I think mindset has a lot to do with it. it. It's in between your ears, right? Like if you convince yourself that a 10% APR is absolutely crazy and no one's ever going to take that, you're right. No one is ever going to take that from you. But you have to kind of learn to be like, well, it's just a different market. And people are going to want to buy things. They're not going to just immediately stop spending just because they have to pay more for it. That hasn't happened yet. And it it is going to slow things down like it is. And we are feeling it immediately. So I, I also hope that as this happens and as this shift is occurring, we do start to see more support from the OEMs in the form of trade incentives, in the forms of rebates. And uh, I know a lot of finance institutions, if you're got a deal on the ball, they do have dealer buy down. So you can cut, give a cut of percentage to the bank, to the finance institution to lower that particular deal's overall rate. 
Uh, so that is a tool that's available for a lot of dealerships that's completely voluntary. It's up to the dealership if that margin cut is worth it or not. And it's about that time we just start having those harder conversations. And I think it should be something that every sales department and finance department is having monthly regular meetings on because the rates have been increasing every month. And if you're not talking about it with your sales staff, they're hearing it from someone else and that could be causing some scares. Definitely fear is uh, is what they're trying to inject into this country right now is everything's on fire, the world's upside down, everybody panic when it's really not that bad. Yeah. It's just cost you a little bit more and the money's not as cheap to borrow, right? Correct. Well, I like your comments on uh, the OEM that we have not seen aggressive programs from OEMs in a few years just because everybody was buying everything and there was really no reason to incentivize or rebate or give some type of uh, you know finance special promotional rate because people would buy it regardless, right? They were buying stuff that wasn't even in stock uh, in the form of pre-order. It's like, what? how long does it going to take to order this uh, this side-by-side one month? Great. Here's my money. Call me when it's in, right? It, it was one of the craziest times I've ever seen in my 20 years of dealership life. Um, and it just, it really, it's going to be interesting to watch how we shift back into a, a salesman mode rather than an order-taking mode. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm sure you've seen, it's like, customer walks in here's my here's my first pencil uh oh okay that's too much for you well it's the only one of these models i've got in stock uh let me know when you're ready to buy it because i'm not discounting it right and so as we see the customers kind of get that power back a little bit to negotiate these deals a little bit better for themselves uh, we're having to see just like you said some some effective sales skills have to come back into it and how you pitch it and how you approach it, knowing that it's not going to be that cheap to borrow the money and knowing that we're going to have to close this deal a little bit better than just, okay, give me your money and here's the keys. Have a nice tie, right? Yeah. So we got a lot to see, a lot to look out for. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to see how it turns out, how we can benefit these dealers and maybe provide them with a few tips to get back into those modes. So I think that's it for uh, for this episode, Angel. And I uh, want to thank you again for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you on the next one.